Would you please turn with me to your study outline, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, and also our friends in Arco, Idaho, and the hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for this study of God's Word. We've been doing a series on the book of Acts entitled Rooted in Purpose. The title of today's study is From Failure to Mission Accomplished. And I saw a quote the other day I'd never seen before by Mark Twain. And I love this quote because it fits in so perfectly with our mission statement, our purpose statement as a church. The two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why. And that fits out perfectly with our mission statement, helping people to find purpose in Christ, doing it together as a community of believers so we can sustain it uh, for the journey. And so really, the one thought that I want us to take away from looking at these passages and acts this morning is that God actually uses failure in our lives to help us find our purpose and fulfill our purpose. God actually uses failure in our lives to help us discover our purpose and then to fulfill that purpose. So to make this practical, I want you to think of one area of failure in your life, a recent failure, maybe even a distant one, or an area that you've been struggling in, uh, and could it be that God is using that area to actually help you discover your purpose and uh, to fulfill your purpose? I came across a bunch of great quotes uh, on this whole subject of failure and success. Sir Winston Churchill said, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Uh, Thomas Edison said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Arthur Ashe, who was a hometown hero for me, uh, grew up in Richmond, Virginia, said, if I were to say to God, why me about the bad things, then I would have to say, God, why me about the good things? And I love an African proverb that goes like this, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. Smooth seas do not make for skillful sailors. Uh, John Dewey, who's the founder of modern education, said, we only think when we're confronted with a problem. Otherwise, we don't think. It is only when we have a problem that we engage ourselves. Mary Kay once said, no pressure, no diamonds, all right? A wise man once said, don't tell other people your troubles. Half of them aren't interested, and the other half will think you deserve it. Uh, Dwayne Allen Hahn said, the end of a dock is not an obstacle. It is an opportunity to get on a boat. Uh, Bill Lyons once said, if at first you don't succeed, find out if the loser gets anything. And we're going to see in God's word, the loser does get something. Dan Quayle once said, if you don't succeed, we run the risk of failure. Just think about that for a minute, okay? If we don't succeed, we run the risk of failure. And then Robert Strauss said, success is a little like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you're tired. You quit when the gorilla is tired. And I love that. Success is a little like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you're tired. You quit when the gorilla is tired. Now, here in Acts chapter 15, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a relational failure between the most dynamic duo that had the greatest impact in world history on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, launched the greatest movement in human history. And yet they had a relational uh, failure between the two of them. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted uh, company. But now in chapter 16, we see a directional failure. Chapter 15, a relational failure. Now in chapter 16, a directional failure. 
Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. This is what is today the nation of Turkey. And so they want to preach in Turkey. Remember that. It's going to be important in just a few minutes. They want to preach in Turkey, but God says not now or no. When they come to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they go one direction, no. Go the other direction, no. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, what is today the nation of Greece, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, how many of you have any European in, in your background, okay, in your ancestry. Well, this is a moment of rejoicing because the gospel got birthed in the continents of Asia and Africa. But this is the first time it makes the jump to the continent of Europe. Now, God will say no to us time and time again to get us to his yes. God will say no to get us to his yes. Let me just share a couple of personal stories. One's kind of frivolous, but the other has more uh, meaning in, in, in my life. When I was young, I thought God's purpose that he had made me for was to play basketball. And it made some sense when I was in eighth grade, because I was one of those kids that I've been the same height since eighth grade, basically. I grew to this height when I was in eighth grade, and then I never grew after that. But in, so in eighth grade, you, if you were this height, you, you, know, you could play basketball. But then a problem happened in one year, uh, from eighth grade to my freshman year in, in high school, all the other kids caught up. And then I failed to have this very important thing in basketball, which is hand-eye coordination. I had like none of that. So I went from being okay in basketball to horrible. I barely made my freshman uh, basketball team, barely made it, and I was terrible. I mean, I'm telling you, in an 18-game schedule, I scored a grand total of two points. Uh, two points. And that's only because a friend had mercy on me on a wide-open fast break, and he threw me the ball uh, to let me score. Now, you do the math. Divide 18 into two, and that was my points per game average uh, in high school. But I was like Winston Churchill. That didn't stop my enthusiasm, okay? Uh, I went from failure to failure, and my enthusiasm for the game did not lessen. Until between, uh, before a basketball season, my sophomore year, I was all set to go out for basketball again. And I can still see the spot in the lobby outside the gymnasium by the Coke machine. My track coach took me aside. He said, Glenn, I hear you're going out for basketball. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. He said, please don't do that. <laughs> he said, you're no good, Glenn. He says, it's, it's, it's be different if you were any good. And you'd think that would have hurt my feelings. It was a relief. We laugh together. I mean, isn't it a relief to know you don't have to do stuff you're not good at? Okay, and it was a relief to me. And we laughed together. And he said, look, why don't you concentrate on track year-round? Let that be your new purpose. So that became my new purpose for living. And, and after the summer of 78, I thought I'd had my opportunity. I was on an American track team that was going to compete in Eastern Europe. So we were running in countries like Czechoslovakia, Hungary, uh, Poland, Yugoslavia, Austria. And I said, now God is going to help me. This is the purpose for which I was made. I was horrible that summer. I got this thing called the Russian flu my senior year in college. It was going through college campuses at that time. My health broke down, and I had a terrible season uh, competing internationally in Europe that, that summer. I, was, I think I was dead last in every single race I ran except for one I was next to last. 
And the communists really enjoyed seeing the American finish in last. So I was very entertaining for them, but it was not entertaining for me. And I remember laying awake in the middle of the night in a hotel in Prague, Czechoslovakia, just saying, God, what's up? I thought this was my purpose. And I can still see the spot on the aisle at our airplane landed in Logan Airport in Boston, Massachusetts. And a Christian sprinter from California uh, took me aside. And he said, Glenn, you probably need to stop running. This thing is not working for you. He said, but I sense in you abilities and giftedness in the area of ministry. Why don't you go into the ministry? And so I entered seminary that fall, and, and finally after God had said no, it said no, then finally he said yes, and the, the, the no's, the failure, helped drive me towards discovering uh, what my purpose was supposed to be in life and then fulfilling that purpose. Now you would think that once you finally get to God's yes, you go from success to success to success, right? No, we all know that's not true. Paul, after God saying no, no, finally says yes, and now when he finally gets to Greece, to the continent of Europe, he goes from failure to failure to failure. He goes to the city of Philippi. They throw him in jail, and they kick him out of the city. He goes to Thessalonica. He starts a riot. He has to sneak out of town under cover of darkness at night to keep from getting killed. He goes to Berea. He starts another riot, and they run him out of town. He goes to Athens. He gets a chance to share with the Greek philosophers on the Areopagus. And the Bible says that they listened attentively to what he had to say until he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. And then the Bible says they sneered at him. And my guess would be is that having these um, intellectuals sneer at him hurt him more deeply than any of the riots he had been in or any of the jail sentences he had had or any of the beatings that he had had. That really hurt him. So finally he comes to Corinth. After one failure after another, I count up 10 straight failures that Paul went through. He is 0-10. When a basketball coach is 0-10, they expect to get possibly get fired. So he's 0-10. He's had 10 straight failures, and now he comes to Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, he begins to reflect on what God has taught him. And there are four things. Number one, God uses failure to get us back to the bottom line. He uses failure in our lives. And think back to that failure that I had you think about. I want this to be practical and not a theoretical biblical lesson, but one that has practical impact in your life. Think of that failure. God could be using that failure to get you back to the bottom line. He wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. He said, you know what? I, I learned that just being eloquent doesn't always work, and even being wise, human wisdom doesn't work. I failed using eloquence and human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It got him back to the bottom line. What's the bottom line? Christ crucified. Our church is not the sum of its programs or worship services or ministries or small groups or life groups or Bible study groups. The bottom line of our church is Christ crucified. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And that's why God gave us a built-in reminder called the Lord's Supper. And we usually celebrate it about once a month, but this month we're going to celebrate it over and over again. We're going to do it today. We're going to do it um, the 29th on Palm Sunday. We're going to do it on Monday, Thursday. We're going to do it on Good Friday. We're going to do it on Journey to the Cross. I mean, we are just going to, this month is going to be a month. For the next four weeks building up to Easter, 
All we're going to talk about is Christ crucified, Christ crucified, Christ. We're going to, when every time we share the Lord's Supper and you take the bread, it reminds you of his uh, body on the cross, Christ crucified. Every time you take the cup, it reminds you of his blood shed on the cross, Christ crucified. And everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper with us in a few minutes when we share it. You just need to know that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that Christ crucified means something personal to you, not theoretical. You say, Glenn, how could I do that? How could I know if I've done that? Well, if you look on the next page after your study outline is done, in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see three steps the Bible says to make Christ crucified real in your life. And there's a little suggested prayer, and if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today at any point as I'm preaching Uh, You are welcome to show that outwardly, taking the cup, Christ crucified, taking the bread, Christ crucified. Failure gets us back to the bottom line. He says in verse three, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Failure, God uses it to get us back to the bottom line. Number two, God comforts us in the aftermath of our failure. Some of your sweetest moments with God will come right after a significant failure in your life. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Last Sunday night at the Hub, Uh, we talked about this word troubles. We looked at the same verse. And it comes from the Greek word philipsis. And philipsis means physical pressure. It comes from an ancient English word whereby to extract a confession from somebody, they would put boards on their chest and gradually add more weight until they confessed. Talk about a coerced confession. And just more weight, more weight until they or just couldn't breathe, and so then they'd confess. Well, that's philipsis. It's the same word with that same idea. Have you ever noticed in your life, it's not when the first weight, I mean, maybe some of you are here today, and you feel, it's almost like weight on your chest, and you can hardly breathe. And you know, it's not necessarily the first weight that gets on you. It's the second one. It's the third one. It's the fourth one. It's when the health problem is followed by the family problem, which is followed by the financial difficulty. It's when multiple weights get on you, philipsis. That's what the Bible says, your troubles, when they weigh down on you. And it says here, a precious thing. It calls him the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our philipsis, in all of our weights, where we can hardly breathe, we cry out to him and he comforts us in all of our troubles. And we only learn that part of God in the aftermath of our failures. Next page of your study outline. God uses failure to open the door to greater ministry in the future. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It is when we go through philipsis pressure and trouble, and we feel God's comfort that we can turn around and then comfort others, be a tool in the hands of God, fulfilling our purpose to comfort others in their trouble. It opens the door uh, to new ministry, greater ministry in the future. Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, um, uh, but how many of you here are old enough like me to remember 
when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Lou Alcindor. Anybody remember when he was Lou Alcindor, played for UCLA? And this is the thing that's just going to blow away younger people. Do you know that dunking used to be outlawed in college? Used to be outlawed in college. You say, what, what's up with that? Well, it was called the Lou Alcindor rule. They did it. They made a rule of the NCAA just to stop one guy, and that was Lou Alcindor. Just to stop him from doing that. that, that they made a rule about that. Now, you, you could be very bitter. How would you like it if the Congress passed a law just to stop you from being successful? You'd get pretty bitter, wouldn't you? But John Wooden, the coach of UCLA, took Lou Alcindor aside. He said to him, look, Lou, you can be bitter about this, or you can use this as an opportunity to develop different aspects of your game. And so he did. And in college, he developed this thing called the skyhook. And if you're a Lakers fan, the skyhook brings tears of joy to your eyes. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, my goodness. He developed this skyhook. And when he would do that, when a seven-footer does a skyhook, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You just watch and hope he misses it. It's kind of like a foul shot. You just sit and watch. And do you remember those beautiful moments? We refer to them as the good old days when, uh, you know, he, he got down to the final minutes against the Boston Celtics in a playoff game. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would go into the skyhook and there was nothing those sad little Boston Celtic fans could do <laughs> but watch as the skyhook unfolded and we would win that, win that game. Well, do you see how God uses failure to open the door to greater ministry in the future? He, he, he closed the door of dunking, and so he developed the skyhook, and in the end, he was even more effective than he was before. And God will do that, the same thing in your area, in an area of failure. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Number four, God will deliver us when we place our hope in him. He has ten straight failures leading up to Corinth. He gets to Corinth, and they kick him out of the synagogue. Uh, uh, now this is, when you get to be 0 and 11, if you think God has called you to do something and you have 11 straight failures, you tried to teach that third grade Sunday school class and 11 straight times, they got, you, you thought they got nothing out of it. And, 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 and you, you know, they, they tied you up to a chair by the end of the thing and, and, and you know, they had to, somebody come and tie you up. 11 straight times you tried that area of ministry. 11 straight times you tried sharing Jesus with that family member or friends, and you fail again and again. So then you begin to think, well, is this a no that diverts me to a different yes? And then God steps in and says, no, no, no. This is still my yes, and I'm just calling on you to persevere in this thing. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Maybe today, God's not redirecting you with a no. Maybe God is just, he, he called you here this morning. You got up, and even though you lost an hour of sleep last night, you still got here because God wanted to say this to you about an area where you, you believe it's God's purpose for you, but you're discouraged. He wants to say these things to you, four things. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. 
do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Uh, Remember when I said earlier that all Paul wanted to do was spread the word of God in Asia in the province of Asia, and if he and God said no, and if he had pushed through doing it his own way on his own timetable, maybe he would have had sporadic success. But he waits for God's timing. He takes God's path through failure and suffering. He, he waits and does it God's way after God's training him to depend on God for his strength, not his, on his own abilities for his strength. And look at what happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. This went on for two years, so that, what's the next word you tell me? All. He waits for God's timing. He waits for God's strength. He waits for failure and and discouragement and perseverance to take its work in his heart. Now he gets to the end, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And God turned his failure into mission accomplished. And God invited you here this morning to hear that same word of encouragement about whatever area it is where you feel like a failure. Let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ crucified.